your hope is in anything but in Jesus, you're sadly mistaken. And you will not find the hope that you're looking for. Jesus is our hope. We as Christians need to do a better job of focusing on what really matters. And what really matters is Jesus Christ. He's what truly matters. Getting here to the message this morning, we started this series a few weeks ago in the book of Mark. And we're going to continue here this morning. And uh, we're going to be here probably all year long. It might be next year when my mother-in-law comes out. We might still be in the book of Mark by that time. You never know. And uh, I've never gone through the Gospels and done one passage where I'm going every verse gets covered. And that's different this time than any of the other times I've done. I've gone through John and I've gone through portions of Scripture and skipped a few here or there. But in here I'm not skipping any of it. We're going through all of it. And so what you'll see some weeks is you'll see more of a story and a background of that story. And then you'll have an application at the end. Some weeks you'll see an application from the very beginning, so it just depends on what week it is. Today you're going to see a story, and then there's going to be an application at the very end. Last service I got carried away in preaching, and I was just having a great time. I don't know if the crowd was, but I was having a great time. And then I, was just, I hadn't even gotten to my application points, and it was 940. Service was supposed to be done at 930. I didn't look at my watch that whole time. Time gets away when you don't ever look at the watch, and that's what I did. Say, Pastor, well, just put a clock back up on that back wall. I took that down because so many of you would just look at that. You know, and just so you know now, just because you go like this, I see it. I know, I know the subliminal hints you're trying to send me. You know, I get it, and every time you do it, I add two minutes to the sermon. And so it just goes a little bit longer, and I'm teasing when I say that. My goal in my preaching and what I do is to bring honor and glory to the Lord. COVID has taught me a lot of things, and I hope it's made me a better pastor, made me a better Christian over time. But what it comes down to is I've done my best, and I try over the past year to just, to, I want to make everybody happy. I would love to make everybody happy. But one of the things you realize is you're not going to always make everybody happy. And my ultimate goal is to make him happy. And just come along for the ride. God is good. Everything is good. You might sit in your day and be like, I don't like the carpet color. I don't like your opinion either, and so we'll just agree to disagree. We one time, I was, I was pastoring only for a short amount of time, and we decided to paint the outside of the building. The dumbest decision I've made as a pastor in 10 years was to let the whole church vote. I couldn't believe the arguments over paint colors. And so, you're not allowed to vote! Well, you can't! And it's like, never again. There's a few people I ask a few things to, but... I'm not going to ever have a whole church-wide vote because those things, paint color doesn't matter. Carpet color doesn't matter. I'm glad it's not purple, okay? I am glad about that or pink. But the preaching of the word of God is what matters and him glorified. And I've taken, over the past couple years, we've, we've changed some things. Our song service, everything around here, our songs now, we used to just sing all hymns. There was nothing but hymns. We sing a lot of newer songs and hymns still today. Say, And there's some people that love hymns, and there's some people that don't like the new songs. If a song praises and uplifts the name of Jesus Christ, you should love it no matter if you know it well or not. And so you'll see tonight, tonight I'm going to teach two new songs to begin the service, and then we're going to sing probably five songs of Fanny Crosby's. We're going to take a hymn writer, we're going to take Fanny Crosby tonight, we're going to sing five of her songs, and I'm, we'll probably do a few of her songs for the next several weeks. I love hymns. I grew up on hymns. Hymns are 
a great thing. I guess we got to start calling them hims and hers, though, right, if we're going to be politically correct. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. So, yeah, and if, remember, if anyone ever says a woman, just smack them, okay? You, you got my permission. Don't ever pray and say a woman at the end there. We need help is what we need, a lot of help in our country and our world. But our goal should be to live for the Lord, and nothing else should matter but him. We look at our passage of Scripture today. We look at verse number 21 of Mark chapter number 1. The Bible says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. What we see in this passage of Scripture is what can happen when Jesus shows up in a service. My prayer is that every time we step in these doors, be it Sunday morning at 8.30, Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6 p.m., or Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m., that Jesus meets with us. Because if he doesn't meet with us, what is the point? You know, we come to church to meet with him. We come to collectively together, get together with the saints of God and worship him and learn from him and we come to meet with him. That's what church is all about. And this morning we're going to look and see what it was like when Jesus came to a dead, ritualistic service. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have here this morning. We need your help. I need your help. Help us today. Bless this time that we have. We need you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week we saw how the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And we saw the temptation that Jesus went through. We saw the fact that Jesus preached about how real repentance. And we talked about repentance. Repentance is not a word as a Christian we should be scared of. There are a lot of Christians that are scared of that word. But Jesus said it. John the Baptist said it. Lots of people say it. Repent and believe the gospel is how Jesus said it. And when we talk about repent, it's not going and confessing all your sins and repenting of everything you've ever done. That's not what we're talking about. That's a works-based idea. Repenting means you turn from what you believe and you turn to Christ. It's a turning from something to something else. That's what repentance is all about. And we saw that last week. And then we saw discipleship. We saw the demands of discipleship. And how Jesus told his followers to follow me and they forsook all and they followed the Lord. We have the privilege today of having all the Gospels with us. So the book of Mark, I mentioned to, to you before, the book of Mark shows Jesus as a servant. So what it does is it goes, it just moves. It doesn't stop. It's nonstop. Immediately, straightway, those are two words that are used a lot through the book of Mark. But the book of Mark doesn't carry every detail of everything that Jesus did. Because the book of Mark goes through and it tells us Jesus was on a mission. The Bible tells us later in Mark chapter number 10, they came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. 
He came to serve. That's why he came. And so if you were to look, it says in verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, it skips several things of Jesus' ministry. And if you were to go to, and you can just write this in your notes, and you can look later on if you want, Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, technically the end of chapter number 4, what we see take place is Jesus' ministry really starts in Nazareth. We also see the fact that he calls the rest of his disciples, and then the Sermon on the Mount takes place. When the Sermon on the Mount, and you say, well, why doesn't the book of Mark give us the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount? That's in the book of Matthew, because it portrays Christ as King of Kings, and that sermon is put there for a reason. If you notice in the book of Mark, his words are not so much as important as his actions are. You see a difference in the Gospels as you go through. And so what happens is Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth, and the people turned on him and wanted to kill him. So Jesus took his ministry from Nazareth, and he moved up a little bit northwest to Capernaum. And Capernaum was the next stop where Jesus' ministry took off. What you'll see is, that's where we get to today, where it says, and that's just the kids stomping their feet in class. So uh, that's what they're doing. Don't worry. Everything's okay. What's all that noise? It's okay. That's one of the privileges of having them right there, uh, right on the other side of that wall. Well, we see in verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, and look what it says, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Something that's very interesting is, and you could also write down if you want to look at what happened in Nazareth and that, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 30. Gives you all the background leading up to this point. But we see that Jesus wastes no time moving from Nazareth into Capernaum. And it says, straightway on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue. Now the synagogue, let me give you a little background about the synagogue. It was a gathering place that was started when ten families were in an area. And the whole synagogue system started when the children of Israel were in Babylon. Because they couldn't all get to the temple and worship in the temple like they had always done. So what they would do is if you had enough families gathered together, you could start a synagogue in a local area. Um, we see from historians, and even the Talmud kind of mentions the fact that in, Israel, in Jerusalem there were almost 500 synagogues. There were a lot of them. Capernaum was a pretty big city. So if 10 families were together, it was like a small local gathering. And what they would do in the synagogue is very similar to what we do today. They would praise the Lord. They would proclaim the scripture. And then they would have a scribe. They would have someone who would teach them the word of God. And so what we see here is that Jesus, on the Sabbath day, went into the synagogue. Now, something that's very interesting to me, and when you look at this and when you think about this, was that Jesus deemed it important to go to the house of worship. The Bible even tells us in Luke 4, 16, the fact that it was as his custom to go to the synagogue. Now, if it was Jesus' custom to go to weekly worship, Shouldn't it be the same today for God's people? That's why the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need church. Church is important. And when we look at this passage, we see that Jesus believed it was important as well. He went as his custom was to the synagogue. And it didn't matter. He might not have been where his home synagogue was. He went to another one. He went. And what would happen is, and as you read this, we see that Jesus was teaching. Now, it was a common thing for a visiting rabbi to, or to speak in a synagogue 
And so Jesus, it wouldn't be unusual for Jesus to be there and for them to ask him to teach. It was common when they would teach or preach the scriptures that they would sit down. They probably stayed a long time. If I sat down and preached, who knows how long we could really stay. But I like to move around anyway. It's one of my nervous habits of moving. That's what that is. Sometimes people just stand still. I can't. It's just the way God wired me. But it's all good. But the elements of that service, as I mentioned, prayer, praise, proclamation of scripture, and preaching. What we see in this passage this morning is, and what my thought is this morning, when you encounter Jesus, there's always a response. Always a response. I'm going to show you four responses in this passage of Scripture this morning, and then I'm going to give you some application points at the end of the message. But number one, we see in verse number 22, it says, and they were astonished at his doctrine. Number one, we see the people were astonished. The word astonished means to be at a loss, to be knocked out of one's senses. It's the idea to be stricken as by a blow, to be dumbfounded. You might say today, I... That, that blew my mind. They were shocked when they heard Jesus speak. And this happened over and over again. Later on in the book of Mark, chapter 6, and verse number 2, it says that they heard a man hearing him. They were astonished at his teaching. Chapter 7 and verse 37, and they were beyond measure astonished. Whoa, they were not only astonished, but they were beyond measure astonished. And then in chapter 10, it tells us, and they were astonished out of measure at his teaching and at his preaching. And we see this before our eyes. And when Jesus preached, he did so with personal power and with authority. The word authority means the power or right to enforce obedience. When Jesus finished his message on the Sermon of the Mount, this is what was said in Matthew chapter number 7. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Hey, and by the way, this morning, that's why in this church we preach and we teach the Word of God. I have people say, I'm a pastor, you preach with a lot of authority behind the pulpit. You know, this pulpit doesn't give me any authority. Let's be honest this morning, I have no authority on my own to tell you anything at all. You know where the authority comes from? You know where the authority? Right here, this book. That's why we preach this book at this church. And it's important to preach the Word of God. And we unashamedly and unreservedly preach the Word of God and the power of the Spirit. That's how this place is ran. And if you don't like that, go find some place that doesn't do it that way, and that's fine. But you've got to understand something. We need the Word of God. The Bible tells us the Word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and as the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's a word missing there. I'm glad I knew that word. The Word of God changes lives. The Word of God has power. The Word of God is where the authority comes from. And we need men of God who will stand up with biblical authority and proclaim the truth. No, I don't know if you realize we got a new president this last week. He was already proclaiming and praising the fact that Roe versus Wade was passed 40-something years ago. May I just remind you this morning that abortion is wrong and it's murder. It is. And for a, someone to celebrate that fact, that is wrong and it's wicked. I, I would expect more Christians to agree with that statement right there. Life matters. 
God is the giver of life, and he's the taker of life. And our society is being dumbfounded in these things. If black lives truly matter, then get all the Planned Parenthoods out of all the inner cities. That's a good one right there. People don't like hearing that, but it's the truth. We need men of God, though, proclaim the truth in these days. Because we need the truth of God's word. It's important. Jesus taught as one with authority. One of the problems was the scribes, when they preached, they didn't have much authority. In fact, they would just quote what some other rabbi had. They didn't, they were very, they recited a lot of things. They were very dull, dry, kind of boring. Kind of like Charlie Brown. Teacher, wah, 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 wah. It was like that. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being at a church with a boring pastor? Don't say anything. (laughs) Do not say anything. But we see that the people were astonished. Number two, we see the demons were afraid. Something that's pretty interesting in this passage of Scripture as we look at and as we read it here. We look now, this is quite a church service. So not only were the people Jesus is teaching, the people are like, wow. We've never heard someone preach like this. But all of a sudden, could you imagine right in the middle of Jesus' preaching? Look at what takes place. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Could you imagine? Right in the middle of preaching, someone stands up. Let us alone! What have we to do with thee? And I can't do a very good demon voice, but maybe some of you, you probably could. But anyways, that'd be quite a If you were sleeping during this service, you would wake up be like what in the world is going on and we'll look at that was the third response which we'll get to later on but you see the people were astonished but we see the demons were afraid it says there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying let us alone what have we to do with thee thou jesus of nazareth art thou come to destroy us i know thee who thou art the holy one of god and jesus rebuked him saying hold thy peace and come out of him And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. All the people were amazed, but the demons were afraid. It kind of, did you ever think when you look at this passage of scripture, this is the synagogue. This is where the religious people would go to worship God. And in the midst of this crowd, the synagogue, there was a man with a devil in him. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Did you know one of the 12 of Jesus' 12 disciples, Judas, had a devil inside of him? Do you know, I wouldn't be surprised or shocked if someone that comes to this church is not saved and is possessed by a demon. I wouldn't be surprised. Say, why, if Jesus had 12 followers and he was the perfect leader and not all of them followed him, how can everyone, can I be sure that everyone in this room is going to be saved? But what a sight. Can you imagine this guy? He probably was there over and over again. They didn't even realize the fact that he was possessed by a demon. Now, I'm sure when he got up and started speaking that way, there were some people, I knew there was something about that guy I didn't like. I, I thought so. I, no, I don't know if they did that or anything like that. But we see that when Jesus began to speak, that the demons got afraid. You see, the demon there wasn't worried when it was just a regular service. Because it was this ritualistic and nothing to it, religious. The Bible tells us in Revelation 2, verse number 9, it talks about the synagogue in Smyrna. 
and refers to as the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue had ritualistic services without rebirth. They had rules without relationships. They had sermons without the Holy Spirit. They, had, they sang music without a sense of God's majesty. And demons aren't bothered by a dry, dull service. You know what bothered them? When Jesus was there. Because he makes all the difference. When his word is preached. We look and it says what happens when the demon, it says, and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He couldn't take it anymore. The Bible says he cried out. The word here, cry out, is an agony like a death roar. Can you imagine? You might be expecting an amen or something in the middle of the message and you hear, ah! So I don't know, something like that. I'm giving you my best example of it. Some of you just woke up. That's literally what took place in the service there. Jesus is there. This demon cries out. And then look at what it says. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Do you know even the demons and the devil himself knows God? That's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because only a fool would say that. Even the devil himself knows there's a God. The demons themselves know that there's a God. And unclean spirits normally like to stay undercover. But with Jesus, he reveals and all things become open. That's why this morning, church, you got to understand, who knows how long that demon was in that man and how long he sat in that service. No one else in the room could figure it out. But may I just tell you, Jesus knew. Jesus revealed it. And maybe today there's some things in your life that you're doing that you should not be doing and things that should not be a part of a Christian's life. Maybe you're not even saved here this morning. Do you realize that Jesus sees you and he knows your heart and he knows everything about you? You cannot hide anything from God. He sees it all. That demon could have hidden for a long time in that synagogue, but Jesus knew exactly who he was when he came there. And Jesus knows everything you and I do. I have just a little extra for you this morning. The unclean spirit literally says, hey, you have no business with us. What do we, leave, leave us alone. Stay away from us. You don't have any business with us yet. Very interesting. You notice what the demon does. He declares, look at what it says there. He says, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? He's kind of attacking him a little bit. Jesus of Nazareth, the human side of Jesus. Remember, I think it was Nathaniel in John chapter number one. He said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? So he was like trying to slam him, diss Jesus just a little bit. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? And what you see, and you know, it's kind of like how we feel. I, I look at, I've grown up in Southern California, and I look and I think, can any good thing come out of Northern California? I don't think so. Can any good thing come out of Sacramento? I don't think so. I don't think it's possible. And that's how they looked at Nazareth in their day. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So are you come to destroy us? You notice the pronoun us, as if there's more than one, or perhaps he's speaking for all of the demons in general. They know their destruction is coming. Very similar in Matthew 8, verse number 29. Look at how, it was, how this is worded in this another example. It says, and behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? They know their time is short. 
they know their judgment's coming. They know they're going to be in a lake of fire burning forever. They know that. And they're wreaking havoc as long as... You know, after the demon disses Jesus, he then declares the deity of Jesus. He says, I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. And we see other examples in the book of Mark, chapter 3, and verse number 11. says, And the unclean spirits, when he saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. The maniac of Gadara, in Mark chapter 5, confessed, Thou, Son of the Most High God. Demons have no choice but to obey God. May I just remind you of that this morning. There are many out there that try and put Jesus and Satan on the same level in their religion, and that's a falsehood. Because Jesus has all power. Satan does not have all power. And when Jesus speaks, the demons have to listen. When he said, hey, get out, what did the demon do? Do you know something that's a scary thought? Think about this. I think sometimes demons listen to the Lord more than his own children do. It's a sad reality. He said, get out. He got out. The Lord says, hey, Christian, you need to be doing this. Okay. Sad that if demons can listen to the Lord more than his own children do. We see this. Satan and his evil demons are powerless before the Lord. Do you realize this stuff is real today? I think sometimes we look and we don't want to talk about demons and talk about the spirit world and all those things, but you realize we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. We wrestle against those things. That's our enemy today. You realize our enemy is not those. This morning, Joe Biden's not my enemy. He's not. Gavin Newsom's not. Well, no, he's not my enemy either. The demonic forces at work, that's our enemy. Don't ever lose sight of that. I heard just the other day there was a there's a Baptist church that got burned down over in Almani or a bomb went off in there. And their church is is extreme. And in all honesty, they deserve their building for that to happen to it. They're one of those that preach about the, God hates all this different stuff and God would rather you shoot them and do all these different things. They're an extremist that have no business preaching the gospel because the gospel that I that is preached in the word of God is not what they preach. But their problem is they focus on people as the enemy. People are not our enemy. The enemy is Satan. It's Satan's forces. And there is demonic activity that goes on all over the place. Don't ever, don't think that I'm joking, you know, I'm not going Pentecostal or crazy on you, but it's real. I used the story last service, and I'll give it to you real quick, and then we'll move on. In Bible college, I'm in Bible college, I had a roommate my third year of Bible college. And he literally was 20 years old. Andrew, stand up for me for a second. Skinnier than Andrew. The guy had no meat and bones to him at all. Super skinny. You can sit back down. Thank you, Andrew. That was a big help. And uh, I just wanted to get you. Actually, yeah, that's good. Probably in Bible college, I weighed about 300 pounds. All muscle. Because muscle weighs more than fat. You understand that, right? And how that all works. Okay, I got to be honest. I'm behind the whole... 310. It was 310, okay? I'll be honest. He couldn't have weighed more than 90 pounds. One day he came into our room at college and he started saying the filthiest, vile things I've ever heard. 
about wanting to rape this person, and he's going to town and he, using language. You know, I'm in Bible college. Never expected. So what did I do? I grabbed the guy, and I tossed him up against the wall and said, you better knock it off. 310-pound guy, 90-pound guy. He threw me across the room. And I started just reading scripture. That's what I'm, I wasn't going to do anything else. And he left. He stayed out all night, came back the next morning, and he didn't remember anything that happened the night before. I got him in my car, and I took him back three hours where he lives and said, don't ever come back. He didn't want help with anything. I tried to help him get him help with the pastors there and different things. I firmly believe he was possessed with a demon. It's real. It's not fake. It's a real thing. But let me make sure you understand something this morning before I go any deeper this morning. As a, if you're a saved child of God, you cannot be possessed by a demon. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you cannot be possessed as a Christian. So like Judas, how he could be possessed by, devil, by the devil himself, by Satan, is because he wasn't saved. We look and we think about this man in the synagogue. There was no religious, he was not saved. This is the thing though. Demons cannot possess a Christian, but they can oppress. They can't get in you, but they can weigh you down. And we'll talk about at the end of the message, there's some things that we open ourselves up to in our lives that become addictions and strongholds in our lives. And that a lot of times there's bad influences, demonic forces that are weighing us down. That's why it's very careful to think, we've got to be very careful some of the things that we do. And we'll talk about that at the end of the message. But make sure you understand this morning, you cannot be, if you're a saved child of God, you cannot be possessed because you have the great spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you, and there's none greater than him. What we see happens is the Lord tells him to come out of the man. Look at what happens in verse 26. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. We see the word torn here means to tear and lacerate, to throw into spasm. So this man was literally eaten up as this demon's coming out of him. And then the Bible says he cried out with a loud voice. The demon did, and this is a screech, a deeply felt scream of someone suffering. The word loud is magos, which means mighty and big. The Bible talks about in James chapter number 2, verse 19, that even the devils also believe, but look what it says, they tremble before the Lord. Why? Why do demons scream? Because they know their fate is the eternal lake of fire. You know, Jesus had no magic formulas, didn't put on a coat and do, uh, you know, any of those types of things. He just spoke, and the demons left. Think about what the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, verse number 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came, to destroy. As we sang that song this morning, my chains fell off, my heart was free. For true freedom comes from Jesus Christ. He came to destroy the working of Satan so that Satan couldn't have victory over us, so that sin couldn't have victory, but so that sin could be defeated, so Satan and his demons could all be defeated. That's why he came. We see that's what he was doing. The problem is in this world, and our world's blinded to that, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, 
and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The world just doesn't see it. Which leads to 1 John 5, 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The devil, his demons, hate the things of God. They hate Christians. Our adversary today, his name's Satan. He's our adversary, and his goal is to wreak as much havoc as he can with the time that he has. Now, what we see here is, we see the people were astonished. We see the demons were afraid. And then we see, number three, that the people were amazed. Look at verse number 27. And, all, and they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Another little thought here is, you never know what you're going to miss when you miss church. I'm at the synagogue that day. Man, they're used to a guy being dry and boring, and then Jesus, wow, this guy's really good. They're like, wow, he preached with authority. Then all of a sudden, this guy gets up, says, what do we have to do with it? And there's a demon in the room. And they're like, oh boy. And Jesus tells him to come out. And the man's literally torn a little, torn up some. The demon's screaming and he's gone. The word amazed right here literally means to wonder, to wonder with great admiration. It has the idea of being alarmed, panicked, and rendered motionless. Just imagine for them that service. Wow, this guy's really good. We've never heard anybody like him. Then so-and-so, our friend, gets up and starts saying, oh, he needs to be quiet. Oh, he's got a demon in him. Uh-oh, what's going on? He's screaming at the top of his lungs. He's, and all of a sudden, the demon's gone, and the man is healed. And everyone's just saying, like, what just happened? They were amazed. It's literally what the Bible says right here. They were amazed. What is up with this guy? They couldn't even categorize him. Is this some new doctrine? What is up with this guy? What happened here? They started questioning each other. You know, they started pinching their cheek a little bit. Yeah, I'm alive. Yeah, I'm really here. Did, did I just see that? Did that really just happen? What happened with the service with Jesus there? His message had power behind it. People were being set free from their sin, and Satan was right before their eyes. This was no ordinary synagogue service once the Savior showed up. It's amazing they didn't know how to categorize him. What he was saying and doing had never happened before. And church, may I remind you this morning that if Jesus can quiet and cast out a demon, he can calm you and set you free from your bondage this morning. He can conquer everything. Nothing is too hard for him. And Jesus didn't come to manage your sin. He came to master it. This man was delivered from the demon in him, and Jesus is doing the same thing today. I love how one preacher put it. He said the people didn't know who he was. The demons did. The demons knew they had a reason to be afraid. When the sinners come to a true understanding of the authority of Christ as the Son of God, they are also terrified. The demons were terrified and could not be saved. 
The people were amazed and would not be saved. The amazed people and the terrified demons end up in the same hell. Demons know more about the power and authority of Christ than most Christians do. And this morning, Jesus doesn't want your amazement. He wants you to trust him. That's what he wants this morning. We see lastly this morning, and then I'll give you your action steps, and we'll be on our way lastly. And it's amazing. I'm at the same amount of time as I was last service. Exactly the same. Number four, what was the last response? We see the gospel was advanced. You notice what happens in verse number 28 after this powerful encounter that was taking place. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. The th- think about this. The fame of Jesus spread with no internet, no texting, no television, no telegrams. How did it spread? People to people to people to people. You wouldn't believe happened in the synagogue today this guy named jesus was there and he healed this man he did a work in his life and i've never seen anything like it you gotta come find out about this guy should be like all of us there was a day when i was bound towards hell and i was reading the scriptures and i found out that jesus christ died for my sins he rose again and jesus took my life took this dead spirit took this dead person and he made me alive he changed my life and he made me a new person. you got to come see this. That's how it should be today. And that's how it was here in the Bible. Jesus did these things, and wow, his fame spread everywhere. But I'm so disappointed in Christians right now because we're so focused on everything that does not matter. You realize someday this world's going to burn up. America's going to burn up all of it. You talk about global warming? True global warming is coming. And there's nothing we can do to stop the judgment of God when it comes. But may I remind you of something today. Our hope is not in Washington. And there's a lot of people right here, some of our folks at church, you might be watching online today, and you might get mad at this statement, but I don't care if you get mad at this statement. I told you earlier I don't care. You need to get off your politics and get off all those things and get back to proclaiming Jesus Christ. If you think the election was stolen, if you think it wasn't, if you don't think that Biden should be president, I don't care. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. Jesus Christ matters. Quit watching all your news, quit listening to all that stuff, and focus on Jesus and start proclaiming him. That's what the world needs today. We don't need your politics. We need Jesus. Hey, your Facebook posts, let it be more about Jesus. Hey, your Instagram or your Twitter, and if you don't even know what those things are, thank God you don't know what those things are. It should be about Jesus. Hey, your messages to people should be about Jesus. Let's put Jesus back where he belongs. This is what's happened. We we focus way too much on things that don't matter. At the end of the day, our hope is in one place. He's our living hope. And Christians need to get their head out of the sand and get back to lifting up Jesus. Because he, you want to you fix America? I've got the answer. It's not a vaccine. His name's Jesus. He can fix every heart. He can take all the wickedness out, and he can make new creatures and make things new. He can take a wicked leader and make them good. 
there's hope for Gavin Newsom if he got saved. There is. And I hope that you as Christians pray for your government leaders that those that don't know Christ would know him. And that if some of them do know him and act the way they do, that God would teach them to not do that. But, but then tell God to teach you not to do the things you do, and we'll leave that there. Spurgeon put it like this. I think this is a great thing. Everyone we know deserves to know what we know about Jesus. He said it like this. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertion, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. When Jesus came, the people were astonished at his doctrine. The demons were afraid. The people were amazed. And the gospel was advanced. How can we apply that to our lives this morning? I want to give you a few quick points of application. Because this is the thing. Knowledge without application is really not going to help you. We need application and things to apply to our lives. So let me give you these real quick and we'll be on our way. Number one, stay away from the occult. You don't hear much preaching on this stuff anymore nowadays, but it's true. There are certain things that a Christian should, has no business participating in. You know, I'll name a few of them. A Christian should not have a Ouija board. Should not. Amen, amen, and amen. You need to stay clear of that garbage. Witchcraft, a Christian should have no part of witchcraft. A Christian should have no part of astrology or horoscopes. What does a Christian have in common with darkness? You need to quit seeing your psychic too. I'll just leave that one there. Why do Christians mess with things they shouldn't be messing with? You, ha- you should not be. Stay away from that stuff. If you got that stuff in your house, get it out of your house. Wisen up. Parents, be wise in the things that you let your children watch and see and do. The stuff's wicked. And this world will try to desensitize us to it. Stay away from that stuff. Number two, don't give ground to Satan. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 27 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And the end of that verse says, Neither give place to the devil. Don't give Satan a spot to work in your life. Say, a pastor, I'm saved. I get that. And he cannot possess you. But he can oppress you. I read a book, one of the best books I think I've ever read. And in this book, it talked about opening the door to unclean spirits, was the title of the book. In that book, the writer went through and said, when we go do certain things in our lives, we're giving Satan a place to work, because what we do is we're opening up a door to something in our life. Do you know you will never become drunk if you don't drink? That's That's amazing, isn't it? You won't. You know, I've never tried alcohol. I was with someone the other day, and we were talking. He's, he's losing weight. Good man. He's losing weight. I've been losing weight. And he's like, you know, one of the things that helped me the most, I quit drinking beer. Good. I said, I quit drinking Dr. Pepper. I guess that's my form of, my form of whatever. But this is what happens. Addictions in our lives. How do we get addictions in our lives? We simply open the door. And the problem is we don't shut it. We let that oppression in. Drugs? Drugs? Where do drugs begin? You open the door. 
Don't give Satan a spot to work in your life. You look at a lot of people that are addicted to drugs, they don't want to be addicted to them. But that's the problem. You left the door open. You gave Satan a place to work in your life. Alcohol, the same thing. We can go down the road of fornication. We go down the road of so many different things, unconfessed sin in your life. We open the door to things and we give Satan a spot to work. Don't give Satan ground in your life to work. Keep those doors closed. Young people in the room, don't ever take a drink. You don't have to drink alcohol. You don't. Can I show you all the lives that have been ruined because of alcohol? Man, we shut down economies because of a virus. I think we should close all bars and get rid of all liquor in the world. I think that would save more people in the long run. We don't think that way in this world. I could show you the families that have been destroyed because of a bottle. The people I've talked to, if I would just quit drinking, my family would be okay. Then stop drinking! It's not that easy. Because what we do is, we open up the door. So young people in the room, don't start. Drugs, don't start. You say, well, pastor, it's too late. Well, guess what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Lord can help you get victory. And there's many a people that I know that have gone years upon years with victory because the Lord helped them get victory. But just don't give Satan a spot. He doesn't need somewhere to work. So that happens a lot. Number three, put on your spiritual armor at all times. This is what we do with the armor of God. We treat it like a watch. If I put it on, I put it on. If I don't, I don't. We, add it, we make it an accessory. The armor of God is going to be how you stand against the wiles of the devil. And, Joe, you don't put the verse up there. It's the wrong verse. We already know that. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You need your armor. Put it on. Satan is at work. His forces are at work. God's given you all the tools you need to get victory in the Christian life. Put your armor on. Number four. Number four. Make Jesus famous by putting him first in your life. Our lips and our lives need to match up. If we say one thing and live a different life, Jesus' fame is not going to be spread around. Make Jesus famous by standing up for Christ, by standing up for life, by, stand, by, do, by living with integrity. I think we've forgotten what that word's all about. Take Christ be with, with you when you go to school, wherever you're at. Make Jesus famous by putting him first in your life. And then number five, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to get saved. Right now, it's possible to be astonished, amazed, and still not receive Christ as your Savior. The best thing to do is trust Him. Wow, what a service took place. The people were astonished at His doctrine. The demons were afraid. The people were amazed at what took place. And Jesus' fame spread everywhere. What can we take from that this morning? Hey, Christian, there's certain things that a Christian shouldn't do. Stay away from the occult. Don't mess with wickedness. Don't mess with witchcraft. Don't mess with horoscopes, astrology, any of those things. Stay clear of 
a Christian should have, has no business messing with that stuff. And you have no business letting your children watch all that stuff either. And then, secondly, don't give ground to Satan. Don't open up doors that lead to oppression in your life. Keep those doors closed. Number three, put on your spiritual armor. Number four, make Jesus famous by putting him first. And then lastly, if you're sitting here, you got a demon in you this morning. Or if you don't have a demon in you, but you're not saved, get saved. What are you waiting for? Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are found in your word.